Good morning. Uh, just a little bit over a year ago, there was this song that came out. It was written by a, a singer named Carrie Underwood. And I remember when this song first came out, uh, it was quite popular on the radio. In fact, uh, on the country radio, it was uh, ranked in the top five. And I remember when it first came out, me and Andrew McCabe were working together quite a bit, always listening to country music. Um, and this song came on multiple times throughout the day. And the name of this song was, There Must Be Something in the Water. Uh, it's a story about a woman who um, goes down to the water and gets baptized and somehow comes out of the water as a changed human being. And people looking at this woman end up saying, well, there must have been something in the water. I think this goes on to show just how confused a lot of people are concerning this very important doctrine of the Bible of baptism. So this morning, if you could turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. This will be our text for the morning as we discuss baptism. Romans chapter 6. Uh, most messages you hear spoken on baptism... Oftentimes, you'll see them spoken of through this passage. And the reason for that being is this is the most complete um, teaching that we have in the New Testament concerning baptism. But here we are in Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 14. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus... We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin." For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you, not, you are not under the law, but under grace. Uh, let's just pray one last time. Our dear Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you for uh, the privilege you've given us of coming together to um, think upon your Son to think upon the great price that he paid on our behalf. And Father, we do commit this next hour to you, realizing that indeed uh, we need your help. Uh, Father, we consider how many doctrines have been created by man because they misinterpreted scripture. Father, we ask that indeed your spirit would be the one teaching us this morning. Father, we ask that you would give us attentive hearts, hearts that are tender to your word and hearts that are receptive to your word. And Father, we do commit the five souls as well to you. Uh, we so uh, so much we do love them, Lord, and, and Father, we do just ask for your blessing upon them as they continue in their journey through the Christian life. Father, we ask that indeed you would keep them in all things. Uh, we ask this in your Son's name. Amen.
There are two epistles in the New Testament written by the, written by the Apostle Paul uh, to, to churches that he had not uh, previously established or visited when he wrote the letter. Uh, one of those being his letter to the church of Colossae, the Colossians. And uh, he had not established that church, but he wrote a letter to them. And the second being the letter to the Romans. And we know that because in Romans chapter 1, uh, he expresses his desire to, to visit them, to impart to them some sort of gift of fellowship and teaching and so on. And so he's writing this letter, having desired to visit them many times, but the Lord not allowing it to come to pass yet. And he has this desire to teach them because, he, because there, there are, we don't even really know how the church even started. If none of the apostles were, were there in Rome and started this church, uh, some people believe that some people had gotten saved through other outreaches and eventually went to Rome and established a church there. But he's writing this letter to a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles who had previously received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Paul's goal in writing this letter is to not only inform them that he hasn't rejected them, but has indeed desired to visit them and will indeed continue to try and visit them, but his desire is also to teach them in the ways of the Lord and concerning the gospel. Um, in the first three chapters of Romans, we see Paul working through, in a systematic way, proving that the Gentiles are all condemned and the Jewish people are all condemned alike because all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's, he also goes through from chapter 4 through chapter 5, proving that all men, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, you are justified by faith and by faith alone. You're not justified by obeying the law. You're not justified by being circumcised. You're not even justified by um, being a Jew. It's by faith and by faith alone. And, and it is by grace that we are saved through faith. And so he, he's writing this letter... And, through the, and then as he continues, sorry, from chapter 6, 7, and 8, he then addresses this idea of sanctification. Uh, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, it becomes the Lord's desire and goal to take the wretched life and the wretched sinner that you are and to transform you into the image of his Son. And that takes place from the moment you, you, you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior to the moment where you're lifted up in glory. Um, there are three phases to sanctification that we find. We're not going to be talking about sanctification, but it's important that we mention this as far as this chapter goes. Uh, there's a, a positional sanctification that we have in Christ. That uh, when I place my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when God looks upon me, he does not see Nick Weaver, the sinner condemned to hell. He sees his son, righteous. And that's the position we have in Christ. And that position is set. No one can take it away from us. Nothing I do can ever take that away from me. And that's what he's going through here. There is also the process of sanctification that takes place today and goes through until we die. And, and that's, that's the process, the very painful process that we're in uh, today and we struggle with throughout each and every day. And then finally, we have the sanctification where we are perfected in Christ, where he gives us a glorious body and uh, we are saved from the presence of sin. But as Paul is writing this letter, he's proven that all Jews and Gentiles are condemned alike. All Jews and Gentiles are justified by faith alike. This is a new concept, I imagine, to many Jews as they hear this. These Jews had gone through their entire life obeying the law, being circumcised, trying to live in obedience to God the best they know how. And yet Paul writes this letter saying that we're all justified by faith and by faith alone. 
He uses Abraham as an example and how he was, he was justified by faith before the law was set in place, before he was circumcised, and before all of these things, it was by faith that he was circumcised. But as Paul is writing this to this Jewish and Gentile audience, he kind of foresees a question that the Jewish people might ask. And, and that question is asked in verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And so the Jewish people, as they would have heard and read this teaching from Paul, having tried to obey the law the best they could for years, they would be moved to say, so Paul, you're saying that there's no need for me to do anything. If, if, if all I need to do to be saved is place my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then that means I'm saved uh, I can just go out and live however I might want to live. And that's how a lot of people live today, because we're saved, quote-unquote, by faith, and only by faith. And so as he, as he foresees that this question would be asked, that is a question he's trying to answer. And what he does in this passage is he uses baptism as an illustration. And, and I want to be very clear that in chapter 6, when we see him referring to baptism, he's using it as an illustration. That's very important if you want to understand this chapter you have to understand it in the context that he's talking about sanctification and the position that we have in Christ, and he uses baptism to illustrate that to the people. And so just keep that question in mind. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He answers it in verse 2. He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Um, it was interesting. Uh, like I said, this church, we, we really... We have uh, some theories as to how this church started, but they had no apostles that taught there, no apostles to establish the church. And, and this would have been something that perhaps they had never heard. And it's interesting, that, fa that phrase, how shall we who died to sin, died to sin, live any longer in it? Uh, if you look up that phrase, died to sin or dead to sin, you will find that it's mentioned three times in Scripture, all of which are in Romans. Uh, it's found in no other epistle. And so you can imagine hearing this letter being read, and Paul says, how shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? You scratch your head, and you're saying, what in the world does that mean? How did I die to sin? What in the world does that mean? Um, but Paul here reveals a positional truth to us that we have in Christ. Once again, he's talking about the, positional, um, the position of sanctification that we have in Christ. And we see here, and throughout this passage, that when Christ died on the cross of Calvary, it was so tightly linked that not only did Christ die as our representative before the Lord, but he died, as, not only did he die as our substitute, but he died as our representative. And we see that in the eyes of God, when Christ died on the cross, and all of those who placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they too died at the cross of Calvary. So Christ came not only as our substitute, but also as our representative. You know, it's funny, uh, this is totally off topic, but uh, the baby crying kind of reminded me of this. Well, I was, I was uh, at the beach, you know, and, and, and we're, we're giving the message there, and there's this huge group next to us. They were listening to us for a while, and as soon as I get in my message, they sang happy birthday, and it was at the top of their lungs. There was about 100 of them singing happy birthday. I'm already trying to talk over other noises, and, and there they are singing Happy Birthday, and it was like the longest song in the world. They sang it really slow. So that stuff like that always happens. So don't be distracted by the babies is what I'm saying. So he reveals to us a positional truth that we have in Christ, that when Christ died on the cross, and if you've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is just as if Nick Weaver died on the cross as well. 
So that's the position of truth that he's telling us that, that we die to sin in that, in that regard. And then he continues in verse 3. And he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Uh, there's a lot of debate here as to what baptism Paul is referring to. Is he referring to the physical immersion that we will see in just moments? Or is he referring to what we call the baptism of the Spirit? Um, we believe, and there are portions of Scripture that we won't look at to support this, but there, we believe that the moment someone places their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, what we have is the baptism of the Spirit, where the, where the Holy Spirit comes down, dwells himself inside of him, and, and baptizes him, in a sense, or places him in Christ and in the family of Christ. And so is that what Paul is referring to, or is he simply referring to the water baptism that we will witness. Uh, the problem with Romans chapter 6 is if you try and place water baptism in this passage, uh, you're going to have a difficult time doing it because you don't see anything suggesting water. But if I could put it this way, I, I would suggest that Paul is speaking of both. Because a physical baptism underwater is an outward expression of what has taken place inside of me. It's a, it's a physical, outward expression of what took place when I placed my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ within. That's all it is. And so the problem that people run into is, is when we say, well, there must have been something in the water that changed this person's life. Well, that's not true, because essentially all it is is a picture. That's all it is. If you try and make it anything more than that, you're going to run into all sorts of problems. All it is is a picture, and it's a symbol of what took place inside of me. And we're going to continue on uh, looking at that. But I do believe that Paul is speaking of both, because if you have a physical immersion in the water, but, but you don't have the spiritual immersion, then it's useless. Whereas the physical immersion is just an outward expression of what took place in me. And we will go on to expound on that more later. But in verses uh, 4 through 7, he says, therefore, and he kind of expounds on the picture or the symbol that we have of baptism. He says, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. And there's so much truth and so much power in this passage. I really do believe that Romans 6 is one of the most powerful passages in the New Testament. And for me as a 23-year-old to try and expound that to you perfectly this morning, I'm not even going to try to do it because I'm going to fail. But we see here that Paul here, he gives us the complete picture that we have of someone being baptized. It's been said that when you're, when you're baptized, um, you, you are um, identifying yourself with Christ. You're identifying yourself with Christ. That just as Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose again in, a glorious, in his glorious self, that's exactly what happened to Nick Weaver when, when, he, when he placed his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The desires of his sinful flesh, too, died at the cross of Calvary, was buried, and rose again in the newness of life and that I, that I should walk in the newness of life, as Paul says. So he gives us this full picture of what it means to identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, once again, I just want to make this very clear. 
I think it's worth repeating throughout the message, physical baptism is an outward expression of what took place within. That's all it is. Um, So many people have got that confused, so I feel like it's appropriate for me to mention it multiple times. Um, But we see that not only does baptism represent that I died with Christ, but that I rose again in the newness of life. And the idea of newness uh, in the Greek, it actually portrays like, it's like fresh. It, it's like brand new. It's, it, it's, it's like never before. That's really the idea behind it. And so when Nick Weaver was buried with Christ, and as Christ rose again, and so did Nick Weaver, Nick came up a different person in the eyes of God. He might struggle with the same things. He might have the same tendencies to fall into sin. But in the eyes of God, He doesn't see Nick Weaver. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful truth we have in that. Praise the Lord. Um, So we see that that it's an identification with Christ. And I just want to mention to you this morning, we are only able to identify ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ in the eyes of God to stand before him as righteous, holy people because the Lord Jesus Christ identified himself with sinners. You see, God made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I can stand before the Lord God, having identified myself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the eyes of God, he would not see Nick Weaver, but he would see his son, glorious and righteous in his sight, but only because the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to come down to bear my sin upon himself and pay the penalty that I should have paid. And so that's the picture that we have. We're only able to identify ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ because he was able to identify himself with me. It's really just a beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, But I I want to make one thing clear to you this morning. I I think we we do scriptures a disservice when we describe baptism as simply an identification with Christ. When I'm baptized and I'm, procl- and, and, and I'm identifying myself with the Lord Jesus, and as it is a beautiful picture of how Nick Weaver died and rose again with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a beautiful picture, and I don't want to take that away. But what I'm saying is really, it's really much stronger than that. It's not only me identifying myself with Christ, but I'm making a declaration before God and before man that the old Nick Weaver is done away. The life that I live, I live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want you to do this morning is, assuming you've been baptized, assuming you've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to ask yourself, does your life today resemble that truth? I was baptized over 10 years ago now. It's crazy, hard to believe. I was thinking about that this morning. It was during the spring conference. I remember it was so full. The side room was full. And I was thinking, uh, it was Scotty McKay. I remember we were talking. I said, it of course, we chose this weekend to be baptized. You know, everyone's going to see. Uh, I don't know if they have to do it, but we had to quote a Bible verse, a verse that, you know, the Lord used to, to bring you to himself. And we chose, like, the easiest verses. But in our minds, we're thinking, there's so many people, we're going to mess up John 3.16. Like, how are we going to misquote that one? But it's a declaration before God before man and before angels, that when I go under the water, when I come up, I'm making a declaration to everyone here and to the world and to the God and to his angels that Nick Weaver is done away with. Does that truth 
is that truth resembled in your life? Is, is, is it true, or, or do people look upon you and see the same person that you were when you were baptized years ago? Paul would put it this way. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we see that beautifully pictured in baptism, but is that true in your life? Or are you the same wretched person struggling with sin, merely a hypocrite in the eyes of man? It does that truth, is that truth resembled or, or, or evident in your life in the eyes of men? You know, we, I think uh, we as the, the church, we tend to hold on to beautiful verses with so much power. Uh, for example, like uh, Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we read that and we say, praise the Lord, there's no judgment. No, there's no condemnation, but there is a judgment waiting for us. This is something that, that isn't popular in the church today. But yes, we are saved from internal condemnation. But let me tell you that we are not saved from the judgment of God. Let me just read to you some verses. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Every believer will have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and take into account every day that he lived. And the Lord will judge you, your works. He will judge you and he will repay you for your works, whether it was good or whether it was bad. And I want to make it very clear to you this morning that yes, we are saved from condemnation if you are indeed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you are not saved from judgment. Yes, you're saved from his wrath, don't get me wrong, but there is a judgment waiting for the church. 1 Peter 4.17, one of the scariest verses, I think, in the Bible for believers, it says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. There are verses so, 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 so many in the scriptures suggesting that there is a judgment waiting for the believer who wastes his life. I was baptized, like I said, over 10 years ago. But is the truth that I am declaring before man, before the angels, before the Lord himself, is that true in my life today? Is it true in yours? I always... Uh, I'm always challenged by Hebrews 12:4 when he says, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. You've not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. You see, when you're baptized and you're making this declaration before man and before God and before his angels, that's what you're saying. Yes, I'm still going to struggle with sin. Yes, I'm still going to have a desire for it, but I'm going to struggle against it. And, and the author of Hebrews says, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. So often we live our lives in a nonchalant way where, yes, we're saved from condemnation, but it's only a matter of time before I sin, so why even try and resist it? But we see this truth portrayed in Romans 6 and, and portrayed in baptism that it is not only an identification with Christ, but it is a, it is a declaration to all men. And brothers and sisters, we will see five souls, I think it is, being baptized today. And if at any time we see them falling into sin, it's our responsibility to come before them and say, did you forget about this day? Did you forget about what, what, what that day represented? Why are you still living a life in sin and in the world? 
You see, when you were buried, you were saying that Nick Weaver's dead, but why is he so alive today? And it's our responsibility to hold them to that. So think back upon the day you were baptized. Does it resemble that truth? I believe with all my heart that when I stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, I think for many people, he's going to retell them, reshow them, whatever the case is, the day they got baptized. And they say, why is it that you did not live in this truth? Mere hypocrite. And, and I, think, I think he's going to use baptism to really remind believers just the time they wasted in their life. So does your life illustrate that truth? Um, in verse 6, we have two results of, of what took place uh, through, the life, uh, through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, really two um, things that took place when the Lord Jesus Christ died. Verse 6, he says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Why? So that the body of sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, so did Nick Weaver. But, he, but, but the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to give me a future hope that one day he would give me a glorious body where I have no desire to sin. I'm saved from the presence of sin and, and I sin no more. So I have that hope that's obviously in the future. But there's a present help and a present purpose that he died. He says, not only that we should have a body um, of sin that will be done away with, but that we will be freed from sin. That we will be freed from sin. Speaking of victory today. Uh, I, think, um, I think it's hard for some believers to really grasp the fact that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to sin. Do you realize that? But like I said, so many believers, they live their lives in a sense where it's really only a matter of time before I fall into sin. So why even try and resist it? But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you don't have to sin. Because the master, the, the, he that was master over us, the, the sin in our life is done away with. And we're now freed. We're freed. And so the Lord Jesus Christ died to not only give us a future hope, but present victory over sin. And it's when we as believers decide to, although we are free from sin, although we are free from our old master, we still return. And we still put the shackles back on. But we're free. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you don't have to sin. Do you live your life in light of that truth? Or is it really in your eyes only a matter of time? I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, that when you're baptized or whatever the case is, that you no longer struggle with sin, that you will no longer sin. But what I am saying is you can live a life of victory over sin, whether that be uh, sin over pornography, sexual immorality, drunkenness, gambling, whatever the case is, you can live a life of victory over them. So Christ died to save me not only from the presence of sin tomorrow, but the, present, but, the, but the power of sin today, and I don't have to sin. Verses 8 through 10, uh, we are running out of time very quickly. Um, it says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to, um, yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, what, what the Apostle Paul here is doing, we won't go into it really much in depth, is what he is showing the believers here is that what was accomplished at the cross of Calvary was accomplished forever. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ will never, no longer have to die again, and the position that we have in him is secure. Uh, no longer has dominion over us. Um, to close up, I just want to, um, not to close up, but the idea is um, in verse 8, let me just mention this to you. He says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. In the Greek, uh, that word believe is in what they call the, the present active tense. Now, what that means is it's something that's happening right now and that keeps on happening in the future. So really, the idea is that we keep on believing that we shall be like him. We have this hope in mind that one day we will see the Lord Jesus Christ as he is and we will be like him, and we keep on believing and we keep on believing and we keep on believing. And that's the hope that we have. But we see in 1 John chapter 3, it says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when we see, that when he is revealed, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. And so we see that just this idea of, of, of believing that we will be like him and to continually believe in that, that alone should have a purifying effect. It should have a purifying effect on our lives today. Um, I think we'll go ahead and close there. But uh, to conclude the message, I just want to remind you that baptism is an outward expression of what took place within. It's nothing more. It's an outward expression. It represents the start of the sanctification process in my life. And it's a declaration to the world that Nick Weaver has died and he's done away. And so I ask you once again, does your life today resemble this truth? That you don't have to live in sin. That you made a declaration to the world and before the world and before the angels that indeed um, the old man is done away with. Is that true in your life? Once again, it's our responsibility as we witness the five uh, brothers and sisters being baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to, to one day, if they fall into sin, remind them of what took place today. And as you fall into sin in your life, you ought to continually remind yourself what took place the day you were baptized and the dec declaration, the commitment you made before God and before man of what um, baptism represents. So we'll just go ahead and close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do uh, just thank you for your word and uh, indeed the, the victory that we have in Christ. Um, Father, the fact that we are able to identify ourselves with him as, as righteous sons and daughters in your sight. But Father, we know that that is only because um, he identified himself with sinners. Father, we, we are so thankful for the fact that, that he paid the, the, the price that we couldn't pay. And so, Lord, we, we do just... Uh, continue to, to thank you and praise you. We do think upon the, the five brothers and sisters here getting baptized, Lord. We commit them into your loving care, asking, Father, that indeed you would protect them from the world and from sin and from, from the flesh and from the devil, Lord. Uh, Father, we do commit each and every soul here this morning to you, Lord. Uh, Father, we, we all have a tendency to sin. We all have a tendency to fall into sin. But Father, we ask that you would help us to live in victory um, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in your son's name.
Amen.